Welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. I am your host, Diogen Tirandekura. On this show, you will discover the realities, the successes and the struggles of business management and information technology consultants in the fast-moving B2B world. So stay tuned if you want to know more about what it takes to have a consulting lifestyle. My guest today is Emily Harmon. Emily Harmon guides businesses in how to do business with government organizations. Very often, as solopreneur or as small business consultant, we think that it is not possible or that it is too difficult to obtain good contract with, gov with government organizations. If you are doing business right now with public organizations, or if you think about doing it in the future, I really think that this episode is for you. Emily Harmon is also a personal life coach, and she is also a podcaster. Her podcast name is Onward and is available on her personal website. So without further ado, let's start with Emily Harmon. Hello and uh, welcome to uh, Emily Harmon, to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. How are you, Emily? I'm doing great, dear Jean. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Yeah, thanks very much for uh, for accepting the invitation, and uh, I think that there are uh, interesting things that we can uh, we can talk about for uh, for the audience, uh, mainly related to your career and uh, your uh, uh, public sector experience. But uh, first of all, if you could provide to the audience a little bit about uh, your uh, yourself, your personal and uh, professional story in a nutshell. Okay. In a nutshell, my story is, um, let's see, I think what really just kicks off this whole thing is basketball, which might sound weird, but I played basketball in high school and I was a good basketball player and I was recruited by a lot of different colleges and I was really concerned about going and playing basketball at a college where basketball would be the number one um, thing that I should be focusing on and not my grades. So I looked to other colleges as well as the ones that were recruiting me um, mainly for basketball. And I, I looked into West Point, which is the U.S. Military Academy up in New York. And then I looked into the Naval Academy. I went and visited West Point. It was cold and rainy, gray. Everyone was wearing gray uniforms. And um, the next weekend I went and visited the Naval Academy. It was nice and sunny. And I, and, um, I liked the basketball team there. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that the Naval Academy was in Annapolis, closer to home, where I lived in Northern Virginia. So I decided to go to college there, not knowing that much about the Navy or the military. I mean, growing up in Northern Virginia, I did have friends whose parents were in the military. But you know, when you're in, when you're a younger child, you know, you're not really interested in what people's parents do. At, at least I wasn't. I was just more focused on myself, I guess. So. But that started my career. I, I ended up working for the Navy. I ended up enjoying it and worked for the Navy for 38 total years. Um, some of those years, four of them were, were when I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy. Eight, seven of them I was on active duty as an officer in the Navy. And then the rest, um, I was in the Navy as a, as a civilian. And that all adds up to about 38 years. And part of the time that I was a civilian, I was also in the Navy Reserve. So I finished a 20-year career with the military. And then I was also a civilian working for the Navy. And I just ended up retiring at the end of May of 2019. And then got into consulting. So thank you. Congrats for that. 
So it went. Uh, so so how did it, how did you jump from that interest into uh, practicing basketball, becoming a basketball player, and uh, being active in the in the military and the navy? Did you did you meet people uh, during the university that convinced you to into uh, starting this career, or uh, is it is it the team spirit? Is it was there something that uh, that drew, that drew you to uh, to uh, start that career? Well, when you go into the, when you graduate from the United States Naval Academy, which I did in 1985, you have to serve um, five years in the military. So I served those five years and then I stayed on for two more. And then I went into the Navy reserves and did 13 more. So I I basically retired as a commander in the Navy. And um, so I just stayed on because I really enjoyed. um, And when you go to the Naval Academy, a lot of the classes that you take are military kind of classes. Like I took mm-hmm. classes on electrical engineering, weapons systems, navigation, things like that. So when you go to that college, you are in the military and your number one responsibility is, you know, getting good grades and being a good student. And basketball was secondary to that, although I did play basketball when I was there. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And, um, how um what were the difference so in the different roles i think you mentioned that you uh, uh so you were active in the military then in the navy then in the navy uh, in, in the navy reserve uh, i know it's a little confusing so when I, when i was an officer in the navy i was basically i was a supply corps officer okay. uh, back then there weren't a lot of options open to women. We couldn't go on like an aircraft carrier or a submarine uh, mm-hmm. like women like women can do today. So I was on. I was stationed on a ship, which was a submarine tender, a ship that helped repair that repaired submarines. And I was responsible for paying all of the ship's crew plus everybody on the submarine. So making sure that I paid, got everyone paid on time, did their travel claims when they went on trips mm-hmm. for work. Um, and basically um, a supply corps officer, so kind of like the business end of the Navy. And then I also worked, I went back to the Naval Academy, and I helped run the Midshipman Food Services Office, which you know fed 15,000 meals a day to all of the students at the Naval Academy. So that was a pretty big operation that we ran. And then I ended up getting into contracting and um, as a lieutenant, and then I be- got out of the Navy as a lieutenant and just stayed on in that role as a civilian. And I became a contracting officer, buying all different kinds of things for the Navy um, airplanes, helicopters, um, su- su- support for airplanes and helicopters, you know, like engineering services, program management services, logistics services, all those different kinds of things. I got to do that, and that was a really great opportunity. I did that for many years and moved up. And then I, then I got into the small business career field, which as a civilian in the Navy, which was basically helping small businesses figure out how they can sell their products or services to the United States military. And it's not that easy because most of the stuff that the military buys is from big companies. Like, you know, I haven't found a small business that can make a an aircraft carrier yet, or, you know, one of our big planes. So small businesses are always looking for ways to sell their products and services. And it's not always as easy for them to figure out how to do that. And so that was my role in, in, those, in those two jobs that I had 
was helping small businesses. And that kind of led to why I'm doing something similar as a, as a consultant now. Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, it's a natural, uh, a natural segue. So you did a lot of, um, let's say, operational, operational um, work for, uh, for the Navy. And, uh, and then you working in the contracting services for the Navy and uh, buying services that are from various types, as you, uh, as you mentioned, put you on one side of the fence. And now you're helping those, those, that were, uh, those companies that could have been your suppliers uh, in the past. You help them to get those, uh, those contracts with the federal government, if I understand. Right. right. I help them just navigate the system. Like I can't you know, tell the government, of course, you know, award a contract to this company, but I help those companies figure out how they can stand out. What, how do they approach the government to sell what they want to sell? Um, A lot of times, um, small and minority owned businesses start their sales pitch with the fact that they are a small and a minority owned business. Mm -hmm. And what I try to educate folks on is that, look, the government kind of cares that you're a small minority owned business. I mean, the government has goals for that, but what they really care about is what is it that you sell and do you sell a product or a service that we need? Cause we're not going to buy from you just because you're, you know, the government's not going to buy from a small business just cause they're a small business. So companies really need to lead with why the government should buy from them. What is it that they sell and does it meet a need? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think you start a very, um, a very, very important subject uh, because you have on, uh, on on one hand maybe you have uh, those big those big organizations they have uh, public sector departments dedicated to uh, uh, managing relationships with uh, with government and they know uh, what they have to do into inside the bidding process. So uh, you today are you becoming kind of uh, the public sector person? Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's a big work when I say that, but uh, uh, you're kind of helping those, uh, th- th- those companies, so as you say, navigating in their relationship with the government and also um, from, a, uh, from an admin uh, perspective, how do they, uh, um, how do they uh, apply uh, to uh, new contracts and uh, how, do they, how can they read between the lines uh, when there is a bidding uh, process? Yes, exactly. All of that. Um, you know, there's things that I can say now that I wouldn't been able to say when I was a government employee about how things work. Not that, um, you know, that, that government employees do anything wrong. It's just I can give more of the inside scoop than I could when I actually worked for the government. Um, I can tell people how maybe the government might respond to the wording that a company has in their proposal. You know, the company might think this is the best wording ever, you know, and I can say, well, this is what the government's going to think. A government employee might think about that wording, and this is how you might want to word it differently. Um, that's just something I can help with. I can also help with, you know, sometimes the government, the contractors, the small businesses, if they already have a contract with the government, they might be in a sticky situation where, you know, they're not getting paid or, their customers asking them to do something that's not really in the scope of the contract and they don't know how to handle it. Um, I can help in those situations and I can help in a different way than a government employee can help. Um, So yes, those are some of the areas that I, I, I like to help people and those are some of the areas that I can help out in. And, uh, what do you have, uh, because you, you already said a few, a few minutes ago, you, 
you mentioned uh, that uh, for uh, smaller smaller uh, businesses they need to uh, they need to to stop starting starting the conversation by saying okay you know i am small or i am a minority owned and and think that it will uh, uh, get them uh, to to have the door open for them uh, do you have other like uh, other advice or other other uh, kind of mistakes uh, that you see uh, small businesses do frequently and um, that you can help them with definitely um th some advice would be like the government you ha when people say i want to do business with the government that's a huge niche you've got to understand that the government is huge there's there's the department of energies in the government the department of defense is in the government the department of education so you've got to figure out you know what is it that you're selling even if it's IT services, it's best not to say, I want to sell IT services to the government. It's better to say, I want to sell IT services to um, one of the subcommands within the Department of the Navy that I know needs my help because I have read on their website that um, some of the child, I've read and I've attended some of their outreach events and I've, I understand the customer and I know the challenges they have and I know that they have a, a, um, a solicitation or a request for proposals coming out on this. So that's who I'm going to help. So number one is boil the government down into the unique niche, um, the unique organization that you want to support. And then there's people that work for the government. So get to know those people and how they work and how they interact and try to go to some of the outreach events that they're attending and get to know them and get to speak their language, learn how to speak their language so that when you write your proposal, you can put it in words that they understand that's addressing their problem. So there's a lot of information you can get on the internet about your potential customers and, you know, like their strategic plans, where they're headed in the next few years. Sometimes their leaders go out and speak at events talking about their challenges. Um, there's a lot of things companies can do, and most companies, I would say a lot of them, don't do it. Yeah, and and uh, in, within the advice that you mentioned, there are there is some of the things that you said that are that sounds pretty similar to a, a private uh, a private sector uh, company. So uh, yes, going to event meet them, knowing what is their strategic plan. Maybe one one of the things because I am myself uh, a um, independent consultant, and um, if I if I was to uh, do business directly with the, with the government, maybe one of the things I would uh, uh, be worried about would be uh, the, 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 payment, uh, the, the payment terms. You know, uh, I'm talking about Canada. Sometimes it is said that uh, you know, the government will, is, a, is an, um, a client that will pay you pretty late uh, in the process. And as a, as a small business owner, uh, I have a cash flow um, I have cash flow requirements uh, that are less flexible that, <laughs> than, uh, than, a much bigger, than a much bigger organization. Do you have some, sometimes that type of, what, what can I say, objections or limiting belief uh, around that? Yes, I think that um, recently, you know, in the past several years, the federal government, um, and especially the Department of the Navy, has gotten more sensitive to the cash flow issues that small businesses have. I think some of the things that help bring light to that is like when our government shut down for, you know, a, a while when Congress can't pass the budget. And that really impacts small businesses because there's no one there to, you know, certify their invoice and to pay their bills. And, um, you know, it makes it really hard on them. So I think that there's a good sensitivity to that and that when um, contracting officers structure the request for proposal, they, 
you know, look at um, how they can make the payments, especially if they know they're going to make it a small business set aside and that a small business is likely to win. They look at how they can make the payments um, structure, you know, good and, and to help with cash flow. But if you, but if, you know, so if you see a request for proposal out on the street and you don't think that the terms and conditions are favorable, it's always good to suggest to the government a better way. Um, because the government employees don't always know the best way to, um, you know, entice small businesses to bid. And one of the ways is, you know, making sure that the cash flow is uh, worth it. Ah, that's great. And, um, uh, and I, I assume that you, uh, as you did when you were an employee, you also work with uh, uh, companies that are, active, that are active in different industries, right? Yes, all different industries. I mean, you name it, I probably worked with them. <laughs> Food service, uh, you know, providing, um, you know, butts and seats is what we called it. Like, you know, people that sit next to government employees and help them with uh, the contracting process or the program management process to, you know, um, parts and supplies for weapon systems and airplanes and ships, anything. You know, just figure that the... Uh, the Navy and the Marine Corps, which is what makes up the Department of the Navy, is like a, a huge community and they need everything. They buy just about everything to support the people and the weapon systems. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, you're also active as a, as a, life, uh, as a life coach, uh, Emily. So how, how, did you, how did you start uh, that activity? How did you come to, uh, to decide uh, to start that activity? And do you, are you helping people that are an audience that is similar to the audience that you, uh, that you help with uh, your uh, federal government consulting business? Yeah, I, um, you know, my whole career in the Department of the Navy, you know, I was a, I was a um, minority, you know, white woman, but I was a minority in the military. I was frequently, you know, one of the only women in meetings um, and things like that. So, and then I wrote, I rose pretty far up to the top. So I like to help, um, especially women, um, figure out how to do things, you know, and there's a lot of things that I, I used to be a mentor when I was in the Navy, I'd mentor women when I was working for the Navy. And so I figure coaching is very similar to mentoring. I like to be a sounding board. I've been through a lot of tough times myself, um, so I can help advise not, you know, people in the personal realm on things like being a single parent, going through a divorce, having a, a child who has invisible illnesses. You can't look at her and tell that she's sick, but mm -hmm. she is. Uh, having a son who's an alcoholic. Um, there's lots of things that I have been through that I think I can give back, you know, by sharing my experiences and helping other people through those. And then I know that it's really lonely when you're the owner of a, of a small business. Um, so sometimes the owner of the company may not want consulting for their business, but they just want like a sounding board and a coach, you know, somebody like me that can, be objective about the situation and provide that leader advice. So that's something else that I offer. Yeah, that's uh, and that's that that's very important because li life happens to to everyone and uh, yeah. <laughs> beyond beyond our careers, we uh, we all have uh, uh, personal challenges uh, to deal with. And um, the the thing that you mentioned uh, with the with the sun, uh, maybe for the audience, is good to know that uh, you have you have yourself uh, your own uh, your own podcast. Uh, yeah. Onward, 
and uh, and there is an episode uh, between uh, with you and your son in it, which uh, I think is a pretty uh, pretty moving one. <laughs> yes, I, that was a really good interview. He told me some things I didn't know in that interview. <laughs> no, it was really good. I did not realize uh, how close he was to dying of alcoholism. I knew he was sick, but I also <laughs> knew he had to be the one to solve the issue. You know, he was yep. 23 and I had done all I could do. So, yep, um, that is a good episode. And uh, I'm getting ready to do a, a solo cast episode that I'm going to publish on December 30th. Um, December 30th, uh, 2019. This year, right? yeah, 2019. Yeah. So I think yours will publish a little bit after, but people can go yeah. and listen to it. It's like this year has been very hard on me as well because I retired um, at the end of May. Mm-hmm. I moved to Virginia um, to be closer to my parents on June 19th. And then June 24th, the, my former husband, the father of my kids, got sick with cancer. Um, so my whole retirement, I've been like going back and forth and doing a lot of helping out. And now I'm the executor of the estate. He passed away on December 11th. And so just a lot of, a lot of things that I've been through, um, that I thought to myself tonight, actually, I thought, you know, I was getting ready to edit the next podcast that I was going to publish on that day. And I just didn't have the energy to edit another one. And I thought to myself, look, I need to share everything that I'm going through and how am I moving onward? Um, how am I taking care of myself through all of this? And so I'm just going to do a solo cast. I'm going to record it tomorrow and, and publish it on the 30th. So that's a good way to wrap up 2019. True, true. And, uh, and uh, I think, yes, um, in spite of all the things that have happened to, to, to your life uh, this year and, uh, and, and before, you have always uh, stayed, um, keep, kept your head up and and. Uh, Kept trying to uh, kept trying to uh, to help other people and uh, and organizations uh, yes. from, uh, from from what I hear, and um, <clears throat> I I also wanted to uh, to come back on one thing that you you said at the start, and I think that is important now, uh, talking about uh, a minority. So when you were working uh, in the in the federal government, you said that you were working more in uh, back end operation uh, on back-end operational task, but very key task, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and But now, uh, women can do more, can, uh, can do, have more different roles uh, inside, the, inside the military and the Navy. So, uh, in your opinion, what is the situation right now for, uh, for women in the, in the military and the Navy? Oh, I think it's a great situation. It's just awesome. I mean, a woman could be a SEAL if she can meet the requirements. You know, th- there's just... I don't think that there's anything that's not open to women and it's so cool mm-hmm. to see. And I, I attribute that to um, the barriers that people like me have knocked down and then people even before me, you know, mm-hmm. the, the waves and uh, people that ser- the women that served, uh, you know, long before me, um, long before my generation. It's just awesome to see um, what women can do now. And even for young girls growing up to be able to have role models, you know, a woman that's an astronaut, a a woman that's a race car driver, a woman that works in construction. I mean, there's just so many things that women can do. And I think it's awesome. Yes. Yes. And that's, uh, that's right. That's the right message. Uh, And I totally agree with that. I think it's very, uh, I think it's very important and you do it, even though uh, while you still have the same issues that uh, other other women can uh, can face as well so that's uh, no, that's uh, that's definitely amazing uh, and um, and emily do you work uh, 
solely with um, because I am from Canada. So, mm-hmm. but do you do you solely work with uh, companies that uh, uh, are inside the U.S. Uh, territory? Uh, no, I. Um It hasn't been announced yet, but I'm going to be on the board of a, a company that's in Canada. So um, that's amazing. So I do, but I do. I will help companies that um, um, are in other countries as well. No problem. Okay. If I have time. Uh, one of your questions that you um, submitted to me ahead of time was, "What does? Uh, what was your question? What does consulting mean to you? Or what does? Is that your?" Question? Yes, yes, it's pretty much the yes, indeed, it's pretty much the uh, like the final uh, the final oh, okay. question that I ask in most in most right. episodes. Uh, is it is it something that you want to answer uh, uh, right right now? You well, are about to well, you can right ask now? it to me at the end, but um, I'd say one thing <laughs> is that you get to pick and choose um, what work you take on and. You know, I'm really trying hard not to be a workaholic. So, oh, that's great. And and um, maybe just just one uh, just one small question: If do you have you have um, a kind of routine? Like, do you work a, a certain amount uh, of hours at the max uh, between Monday to Friday? Or that's a good question. Um, the way I have my calendar set up, I don't take meetings pretty much. I don't do meetings on Mondays and Fridays and try to give myself Mm -hmm. that extra time. Um, Because of, you know, helping take care of my ex, I just haven't really been able to get into a routine. Um, There's always something to do with his stuff. I'm, you know, behind on some of my paperwork and stuff. So I'm really Mm -hmm. looking forward to 20 20 where I can get that all under control, but I'm still getting used to, being retired. Like some days I think to myself, wow, I could, I could just go hiking today without, you know, taking a day of vacation. (laughs) You know, I mean, (laughs) I can go hiking. And so that mentality of being able to just go to a movie in the afternoon, if it's a rainy afternoon and I feel like it, or I haven't let myself relax like that yet as much as I want to, I have been taking pottery classes with my mom. Um, But um, I'm going to do better at that in 2020 for sure. Okay, and I uh, I wish that I wish that for you. And um, indeed, so we are uh, touching touching the end of the um, the end of the conversation. And um, the question that I have, because we are on the podcast that is named uh, Consulting Lifestyle, mm-hmm. and you are a um, independent consultant since um, May 2019, and also a podcaster. Uh, so for you, what does What does that mean, having a consulting lifestyle? Yeah, I, I do think it means having being able to be flexible. Um, I don't go to an office every day. I control my schedule. I, it's not as controlled by other people. In fact, one day I posted something on LinkedIn. I said, you know, after working all weekend, I was thinking to myself that I have a really tough boss. And then I realized that boss is me. <laughs> I'm the one being tough on me, t- saying yes to taking work or saying, you know, making myself work on the weekend. So um, one of the things I wanted to do when I retired was slow down. And I've been doing that some, but I need to get better at it. And I definitely, one of the things I have been doing more of, and this is what a consulting lifestyle means to me too, is having more time to take care of myself. I have been exercising. I'm in much better shape than I was. So I've been taking care of my mental and my physical health, which feels good. And I think makes me better on the job. 
Okay, that's a, that's a very good, very good lesson for, uh, for a lot of people. So uh, be flexible, control, have control of your own schedule, um, be your own toughest boss if you want to <laughs> and uh and take care of yourself so i think it was a it was really a wonderful conversation we went through a, a lot of subjects both uh personal and uh, and professional so uh, thank you emily and uh, i look forward for you to uh have the best of uh 2020 and, thank you uh, we uh we talk again soon i look forward to following your podcast ah thank you very much <laughs> all right have a great night have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes if you have enjoyed the episode and subscribe to the podcast so that you get notified to hear other episodes with your host, Diogen Tirandekura.